This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Welcome to today's service. Um, This is part two of God's house. Uh, I love God's house. I hope that you love God's house. Um, I want to... um, Where did that thing go? Okay. Last week uh, was part one, so... If you have not heard part one, then go on the Internet, okay? And where it says sermons, listen to that, okay? Because it all, it all flows together from one, part one, part two, and then next week's going to be part three. So it all flows together, and it's, and it's really good. So I want you to uh, make sure that you get the whole flow of the whole, the whole series. Um, last week, I'm going to read this to you again. Last week, um, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, what do you think about your house? And so he gave me a poem. And uh, if you did not get a copy of this poem, raise your hand and Robert will, will give it to you. But I'm going to read it. If you did not get a pop- copy of this poem, back in the coffee bar as well, um, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you, and you just keep it in the front of your Bible. So this is what God the Father says. This is his opinion about his house. So he said, my house is a haven. It's a safe place. It's a refuge. My house is a port to dock from the dangers of the storm. My house is a fortress, a mighty fortress to rest therein in peace. My house is an armory where you come to replenish your supply. My house is a classroom of wealth of victory talk. My house is a hospital where your wounds are healed. Wounds of the flesh, wounds of the soul, wounds of the spirit. My house is a place to shed your tears. But my house is also a place to dry your tears. My house is a place filled with my presence, for in my presence there is fullness of joy. My house is a place of love and acceptance, but also my house is a place of correction to free and to keep you from your sins. My house is a treasury, for where your treasure is, there will your heart in me be also. My house is a place to comfort those around you, to cheer them on, to befriend them and to love them. My house is a place to love and to forgive, not to throw stones, for your sins were great as well. But my house is a place to restore such a one, to help them stand in victory once again. My house is a place where I have placed my shepherd to tenderly love and nurture, to care for and to feed you. Won't you come to my house? But better still, won't you remain in my house? Amen. Well, I want to go over some of the verses that we went over last week. Um, we already went over our, our verse for the year about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as it is the habit of some. But we're also going to look at verse uh, Psalms 122.1 again today. Psalms 122, verse 1. This is out of the King James. Well, actually, I'm in the New King James, so I don't know what it's going to look like on the screen, but... This is what I'm reading out of. <laughs> Psalms 122.1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. If you need an, uh, an, uh, an outline for this sermon today, raise your hand and the ushers will pass those out to you. You know, what is your attitude? This is what we talked about last week. What is your attitude about God's house? 
What is your attitude about the local church? Because what your attitude is or is not um, makes the church stand or fall, depending on what your attitude is. So is this your attitude? Psalms 22, 22, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be in God's house? Amen. Look at Psalms 84, verse 10. Psalms 84, verse 10 says, Better is one day in your courts, in the house of God, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Amen. So what, what would I do today that I traded a day of my life for? What is more important than being in God's house on a given scheduled day of service? You know, what, what is it worth trading? You know, what are you trading a day in God's house for? Whatever you're trading for isn't worth it. Because better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. A thousand other excuses of why you're not in the house of God in a given day. Let's look at Psalms 27 verses 4 through 6. Oh, I love this verse. Psalms 27, 4 through 6 says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. So God's house. How beautiful is God's house. Amen. I love God's house to you. Remember last week I talked about uh, different people's stories. We talked about the Debbie Rahman story. We talked about the Janice Carter story. We talked about the Bernie Sample story and some other stories. Today we're going to talk about the Moses story. So we're going to focus on some of God's leaders, men of God, and what they needed to accomplish God's calling in their lives. Amen. So technically, you know, I mean, we could go into, I could spend, you know, a month up here talking about Moses. But that's your job to get yourself a Bible that you can read like a New Living Translation and just start reading, you know, the Old Testament. Read, start in Genesis 1 and read about, read about Moses. Read about all these great men of God. Amen. So anyway, and find out what it is about their lives. But just brief thing about Moses. Technically, Moses was pastor of the nation of Israel. And they had like a million some odd people. So how would you like to pastor a congregation of some million some odd people? Don't think so. So obviously, Pastor Moses needed help. So God's people were slaves in Israel. And they were crying out to the Lord. And finally, the Lord says to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. Therefore, Moses, you go and you help these people. 
You set these people free. So God Almighty himself didn't come down. He said to this man, Moses, one man out of all the earth, Moses, you go. You set my people free. Wow. What a, what a thing that is, you know. So Moses, obviously, he had a stuttering problem. And he says he didn't want to go because he stuttered. But then he said, well, let me bring my brother Aaron. He talks well. So I'll let, I'll let Aaron do the talking for me. And the Lord said, okay, you can take Aaron. But in the long run, he didn't even need Aaron. Because when Moses got up to speak, the anointing fell on him. And he didn't stutter anymore. So anyway, you know, read the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses parted the Red Sea with his rod. The Lord told him, you part the Red Sea with the rod. And so Moses went out and he parted the Red Sea with his rod. And uh, so he spent a lot of time. And then another thing that Moses did, he spent a lot of time listening to the problems of the people. Well, if you've got a million people, can you imagine all their problems? Some legitimate, some not legitimate, you know, some stupid stuff. So Jethro, his father-in-law, says, Moses, you need help. So why don't you divide these people up into groups of 150 and we'll have somebody else take the hard ca- the, 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 you know, the regular cases and the hard cases we'll take to you. And so Moses said, that's a great idea. So Moses got the help that he needed in that area. Now flip over to Exodus uh, 17. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. Now, this is another point in what's going on with Moses and um, the Israelites. Verse 8. Now, Amalek, this man, came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of uh, on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now remember that rod is what he used to part the Red Sea with. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he got tired and he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on the one side and one on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the suns. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Do we have any Aaron and hers in here? Get up and do your duty, kids. Yeah, help, hold him, help, help him up. There you go. Okay. We got some Aaron and hers in here. And friends. <laughs> Aaron's and hers and friends. So you like a little picture. You know, you think that's just a little stick. But I'm telling you, when you stand here for a while with your arms up in the air, duh. You're going to have to have help holding them up. 
So the rod of God represents two things. God's presence in battle. God's anointing. God's presence in battle and God's anointing. All you military people, you need to read the Old Testament about battles and such. Because it is amazing what you can learn from God about warfare and stuff like that. I know some of you aren't into the war part of it. But it is just amazing what God does. Thank you. Thank you very much. You can sit down now, Pastor. So there, there you have it. So in the local church, Pastor Samples is the head pastor here. And he has to have people to help him hold up this whole thing. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that was the Pastor Moses story. Obviously, Pastor Moses needed what? Help. He needed help. Okay, now I'm going to read to you about the David story. Now, we all know about David the shepherd boy, handsome and strong. That was part of a line out of the books I used to read to the kids when they were little about David. David was the one that uh, went out and he killed Goliath. Remember that? With the five smooth stones. And it only took, I think, one. But he took five smooth stones with him because that's what he was used to using was a, was a what do you call those things, a slingshot. He couldn't use the, he couldn't use the, the battle ornaments of King Saul. King Saul had a heavy sword and, 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 a, and a big shield and all that kind of stuff. And David was only a boy of 16 or 17 years old, a teenager. And he couldn't handle those. He wasn't used to using somebody else's armor. He was used to using his own armor, a, a rock and a slingshot, where he would you know, take care of his father's sheep and get rid of things that came to try to prey upon them. So anyway, David kills Goliath. King Saul wasn't able to kill Goliath, although he had all these men and all that kind of stuff. King Saul wasn't able to do it because every day Goliath, the big giant, would come out and he'd yell and he'd roar and he'd say, you know, who's your God? Who's this and who's that? And and David, the shepherd boy, got really angry about that because, you know, the saying, you know, uh, King Saul and the Israelite army saw a great big giant. But you know how it goes. David saw a little bitty giant and a great big God. And it made, it made David mad that, that uh, Goliath was coming against God. You know? Hallelujah. Thank you for people that stand up for God. Amen? Thank you for people that stand up for righteousness and what is right, even now in this nation. Thank you, Lord, for the godly who stand up for what is right and for what is godly. Hallelujah. So anyway... Um, King Saul wanted David to come serve in his house. So here goes David. So David's not out with the sheep anymore, out in the fields. David's in the king's palace. Well, the people started singing a song about how how King Saul slays his thousands, but David slays his ten thousands. And so that made Saul mad. It made Saul jealous. So every once in a while in the palace, he would just take his spear and he'd throw it at David, trying to kill him. So after a while... This kind of got to David, you know what I'm saying, when somebody's throwing spears at you all day long? And I'm sure King Saul was good at throwing spears. I mean, he was a warrior, you know what I'm saying? But but <laughs> praise the Lord that God protected him and the swords never hit David because that would have ended the story, duh, you know. But anyway, so um, David had a best friend. And his best friend was King Saul's son, Jonathan. And you need to do yourself a favor and read the story of Saul and Jonathan. It is, I mean, uh, David and Jonathan. It is the most beautiful story of a friend 
I've ever read in my entire life. A beautiful, beautiful story. And, you know, if we have just one friend in life that was like Jonathan and David were to one another, man, we've got it made. So do yourself a favor and read that. It's in First Samuel, uh, Samuel somewhere. You have to look it up yourself. So anyway, once again, King Saul is plotting to kill David. And Jonathan hears about it. So Jonathan goes and he tells David about it. Long story short, you can read all the details in, in your own word. So David flees from the palace. So let's look up 1 Samuel 22 and we'll find out exactly where he went. Where did David go? You know, sometimes it's not too bad to retreat. He retreated, right? He ran for his life. So 1 Samuel 22 Verses 1 through 2 says this, tells us where David went. Therefore, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When I think of caves, I think of bats, snakes. I mean, I think of all kinds of stuff, you know. <laughs> so he fled to a cave, probably in the desert, because Israel, the area of Israel, is just like the area that it is around here. Same, same kind of terrain. So when David's brothers... And all his father's house heard it. They went down there to him in the cave of Dulam. Now, if you go back and you read about David's brothers, when David's father, Jesse, sent David to the ward zone where, where Goliath and the Philistines were with some cheese and bread for his brothers, his brothers were all dissing him because David was the youngest. And they were yelling at him, you know, and saying, hey, you're not supposed to be here. What are you doing? You're supposed to be home tended to your father's sheep, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm being mean to him in front of all the other soldiers. But when when push came to shove and David's in the cave of Dulam, who's it say were the first ones that came to him? His brothers. Their attitude kind of changed, didn't it? They had a change of attitude and they had a change of heart about their about their uh, their brother David, you know, the little kid. Not only did David go, but all his father's house heard about it. I wonder how many relatives he had. Probably a bunch. And they went down there to meet him in the cave. And this is who else went with David. Those who were in distress. Everyone who was in debt... And everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became a captain over them. And there were about 400 people with him around this cave of Dulam. Now, isn't that interesting? So once again, obviously, David needed help. You've got 400 people gathered around you and you're going to need some help with these people. So isn't that an interesting group? Notice it didn't say the college professors ran around him, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't society's best that went to be with him in the cave of Dulem. They probably would have thought, oh, I'm not going to the cave, you know. But those who were in distress, what a great group of people, distressed people. Those who were in debt, you know, isn't being in debt a lot of fun? Now, that's not a lot of fun at all. It's very stressful when you're in debt and you don't know when you're, how you're going to pay your bills or when your next meal's coming from. So those kind of people were with him. And also those who were discontent. 
Maybe the grumblers and the gripers. They're not happy with anything. That's the kind of people that gathered around David. So you may think in your mind, well, well, how's he going to get anywhere with a group of folks like that? He's got the worst of the worst. What's he going to do about that? But notice it says that David became a captain over them. David became a leader. God anointed David to become a leader. There's two groups of people in, in life. You've got leaders and you've got followers. Don't you think it took a lot of anointing on these followers to follow David? It takes a lot of anointing to, it takes a lot of anointing to be a leader. But it also takes a lot of anointing to be a follower. Maybe even more so to be a follower. David needed help. Praise God. Look over at Second uh, Samuel. We're going to flip over to the whole, whole book of Second Samuel in uh, verse 23. Now, I'm jumping a whole lot of history here, okay? <laughs> Once again, you've got you to gotta read this stuff for yourself. It's such good reading. It's just awesome to see what these men of God did and what God did with them and all kinds of stuff. So, Second um, Samuel... Verse 23, I'm going to start off at verse 8, and we're going to go to verse 12. Now, this is the account of when David was at the end of his life. All kinds of things have happened since he killed uh, the shepherd boy, since he went to the cave of Dulam. You know, you got to read all that for yourself. And finally, you get to Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, and this is the end of David's life. He's getting ready to die. Okay? So, remember, all those people... That went to the cave of Dulam. Remember them? Remember what kind of people they were? Now listen to this. He's going to start talking about some of those people and what they became. It says, these are the name of the mighty men. The mighty men. It doesn't say they're distressed, they're discontent. It doesn't say they're in debt anymore. They have become mighty men. So these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tecmonite, chief among the captains. So he had one guy that was under him. And he was chief among his captains. He was called Adino the Esnite. Because, listen to this. At one time, he had killed 800 men. At one time, Adino did. That's a lot of folks. After him, another mighty man was Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men whom date with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel retreated. Oh, so it sounds like some of David's are or the, um, the Israeli army retreated, but David's standing there, and he's got this guy, uh, Eliezer, there with him. Verse 10, he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. It's almost like his hand became part of that sword. He probably squeezed that sword so tight that his hand just kind of became part of that sword. The Lord brought great victory that day and the people of Israel returned to him only to plunder what was left from the other army. You know, they all took off. God's people took off. Every once in a while, God's people still take off. It's not nice to take off (laughs) from God. Amen. 
from God's house. But they all came back when there was plenty of plunder there on the ground. After him was a third mighty man, and his name was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Now, in Indiana, we have soybean fields. Have you ever seen a soybean field, anybody? Soybean field? Oh, you you never seen a soybean field, Katie, in Ohio? That's when one year there's corn, next year there's soybeans. You got the corn, next year there's short stuff, that's the soybeans. So they're standing, this guy is standing in the middle of a bean field. So the people fled from the Philistines again, but Shammah stationed himself in the middle of the bean field. Get a picture of this. And he defended it, and he killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Now, those are just three of David's mighty men. If you continue on into verse 13, which I'm not going to do, he had another 30 mighty men. And then it talks about all of those guys, if you continue to read. But their war battles weren't as strong as the guy that killed 800, the guy that defended the bean field, etc., etc., But David had all these people with them, and David had help. Now we're going to talk about the story of Jesus' twelve disciples. We talked about Moses, a great man of God, right? We talked about David, who became king of Israel, a mighty man of God, right? Now we're going to talk about Jesus' twelve disciples. Jesus, of course, is our Lord. He's our Savior. But when he was on earth, he operated as a man. He's a son of God, but he also operated as a man. He came in the flesh. He, you know, washed his hair, brushed his... I mean, I don't even know if they brushed their teeth back then, but at least he jumped in the lake every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? To get clean. He washed other people's feet. So there was, there was, you know, he was here as a man. So, uh, obviously, Jesus, think of him. Jesus needed what? Help. Jesus still needs... Jesus needs you... And Jesus needs me, even so today, right? Because after all, Jesus is alive and well, correct? Okay, let's look at Luke chapter 6. And we'll think about Jesus' 12 disciples for a minute. Luke 6, starting out in verse 12. We're going to read down to verse 16. Now it came to pass in those days that he, meaning Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God his Father. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he had also named apostles. Now, there were 70, you know, there were 70 that were with him and, you know, more and more people. So, from this reading, I'm gathering that he had called the 70 up there. But because he prayed all night long and he got the heart of the Father as to who was to be his staff, his helpers, he heard from the Lord that night. So, he calls them all together. And it says, as from them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, 
Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. So we're not going to talk about how great Judas Iscariot was because he wasn't. Correct? Judas Iscariot was betrayed Jesus. Judas Iscariot uh, sold Jesus out. Judas Iscariot left him. Judas Iscariot was a traitor. I forgot to show the books, Pastor. You said there were two. Oh, here's the other one. In our bookstore, we have some really great books about Jesus and the local church. This one's from Dr. Barclay, Building a Supernatural Church. We need to be a supernatural church, right? We need to do things supernaturally, God's way. Seeking the Lord and doing things that he wants us to do. Wants us to do. Uh, building a supernatural church. He also has a book out called Sheep, Goats, and Wolves, which I don't think we have here. Right now we're out of it. But he has all kinds of... Because Dr. Barkley loves the local church. So, you know, when he comes here, he's to build up the local church. And also, uh, Brother Hagen's book, He Gave Gifts Unto Men. And uh, Brother Hagen wrote this book in 1992, which is when we pioneered our first church in Indiana. And this really helped us out a lot to know, to understand the fivefold ministry, to also understand, you know, the helps ministry, the local church, those who helped people. Remember, today we're talking about great men of God, but we're also talking about what does it take to help these great men of God do what God has called them to do. Obviously, they cannot do it by themselves. So Jesus chose a staff of exceptional people to what? To help him. To help him. You know, like I said, Jesus had the others. He had the 70, etc. They were not all perfect people. Now, when you came in today, you got a list of some imperfect people. And if you want to look at that, we'll go over this. These are not necessarily talking about Jesus' apostles, but, but uh, people that are listed in the Bible. So here's a list of not perfect people. Jacob was a cheater. If you look up the name Jacob, it means deceiver. Jacob was a cheater in the Bible. Peter had anger issues. Nowadays, they would send him to anger management classes. He had a temper. David, King David, had an affair. Not only that, but he killed, you know, talking about Bathsheba, killed her husband, had him murdered. Great guy, you know. Had an affair, and then he had had his guy murdered. Terrible. Noah was a drunk. Jonah ran from God. You remember Jonah and the big fish? Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. You know, Saul became Paul. He went around murdering Christians. Gideon was insecure. I love the story of Gideon. This was another thing where God comes to this kid working out in the farm field. And he says to Gideon, uh, you know, once again, God's people are crying out to him. God said, I heard their cries. Gideon, you go out there and you tend to this. You set God's people free. And if you read about who Gideon was, it's like, who, me? You know, he was petrified. He was a farm boy out in the farm field. And he says he was the least of of the least. He said, my family is the least of all the families around. We are nothing. But God chose the nothing Gideon to do great things for him. Miriam was a gossiper. I'm going to do a lesson on that one day about Miriam and what, what effect her gossiping had on the whole nation of Israel. You know, your mouth is can be a real mess. We need to control our mouths. Martha was a warrior. You know, you talk about Mary and Martha. Thomas was a doubter. I'm not going to believe it until I see the nails in his hands, he said. 
Sarah was impatient. You know, she went out and had Hagar, you know, messed that up. Now we've got problems with the world because of what she did. Elijah was moody. Mary Magdalene was a hooker. Moses stuttered. Abraham was old, right? How old was Abraham when he did all that stuff? Oh, well, he was 90 years old when he had uh, his child, right? 99? Oh, great. Lazarus was dead. So what's your excuse? You know, I love this. God does not call the qualified. He calls you like the mess you are. And then you know what he does? He qualifies the call. He makes you into that believer that he needs. Amen? So just because we've been stupid in life doesn't mean that we're tossed away into the trash can. However, on the other hand, these people all repented. That's the key to these guys and gals. They repented. They weren't out doing the same stupid... Jacob wasn't still out cheating. Okay? Mary Magdalene wasn't still out being a hooker. Okay? You know what I'm saying? They got over their stuff. They repented and they began to serve God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Oh, I love that. Isn't that neat? As long as we have breath, we can still repent. We can still serve God. I'm looking at you today, Betty. Betty's mother, Joyce, many of you knew her. She came, how old was she when she passed? 88 years old. And she was here all the time. And she used to cry because she wanted something to do. But you know what she did? She prayed. She was a prayer. And she stayed in her, her little room that she had, you know. And it was just like a little shrine almost. And she prayed. And she'd call people on the phone and she would pray for them on the phone. She had a ministry, although she was 88. She gave me this dress. And I'm wearing it today. And I don't know if that's her walker or not. But you know, <laughs> maybe it is. I don't know if you donated it to the church or not. But anyway, you know, it doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are. What matters is, are we a repentant people? Are we a people that love God's house? I love the scripture. I don't know where it is offhand, but it says, here I am, God, use me. When you get to the point where you surrender your entire life to God, and your life means absolutely nothing anymore to you, and you say, here I am, God, use me, and you give it all to God, I call it total surrender, complete surrender. And then God makes this beautiful thing out of your life, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. And I forget how the rest of the song goes, but it talks about how he made something beautiful out of my life. Isn't God awesome? I love what he does. Okay, they all repented. Okay, so what did Moses' helpers and David's helpers and Jesus' disciples all have in common? I will tell you. They were committed. God assigned them to these different men of God. God assigns you today to a man of God. If you're in this church and this is your church, your man of God is pastor. 
God assigns them and they were committed. They were consistent. They were consistently constant and constantly consistent. In a good way. Some people are consistently constant and constantly inconsistent. You can count on them for the fact that you cannot count on them. Correct. You know, if any of you have your own business or are bosses or whatever or work with people, you can always count on people not to be there, right? That's when they need to be fired. Okay, excuse me. Okay. They stayed in communication with their leaders. There was a communication there. You know, David's mighty men weren't wondering, well, wondering what David wants to do today. David was constantly in communication with them. Moses was constantly in communication with his leaders. Jesus was constantly in communication with with those that were his, his apostles, his disciples. And I want to introduce some people to you today. I want all my staff members to come up here and just stand up here. I want to introduce my staff to you. Some people don't even know who our staff is because I don't talk about the staff a whole lot because I think they're beyond the point of having fat heads, but used to be... Um, they had fat heads. If they, if they were on staff, they thought they were the big shots of the church. But actually, it means that they work harder than anybody else. Um, Desiree's uh, not here because she's in jam this morning. But Desiree is my assistant. I'm over, you know, I'm also a pastor here, but I'm also over all the Ministry of Helps areas. And Desiree is my assistant in Ministry of Helps, plus assistant to all of our pastoral staffs. So she has a lot to do. Down here is Lawrence Mata. He's over our security. Then we have Jose Cruz over uh, media. And his beautiful wife, uh, Heather, she's over welcome team. Both together they're helping in the, you know, working a lot of stuff back there in the, the sound booth. Jesse Garcia is our department head over maintenance. Some of these are department heads. Some of these are just people that God said have on your staff. This is Leah Mata. She's our children's church director. Katie Brady's not over department right now. Uh, Norma is our nursery department head. Susan's not over department, but Robert's over ushers. Now, some of these people that aren't department heads, I call them utility players. You know, I can call, like, Susan helps me all the time. Like, today, I needed a lot of help. <laughs> I said, Susan, come here. You know, I can ask these people to go do anything, and they can, they can, run, they can go take care of the nursery. They can go do children's church. They can go do whatever. You know, they're utility players. This is our son, Joshua. He's our... uh, (laughs) Joshua's a licensed and ordained minister. He was licensed and ordained when he came here. But he's also licensed and ordained through the church. Um, He's, of course, our praise and worship leader. Him and Julie together are over FPU, Financial Peace University. Um, Actually, um, these two... And Julie is over custodial right now. <laughs> but these two, if you've ever been through Financial Peace University at all and have sat under them and their teaching, how many thousands of dollars were you got in debt uh, in 13 months? Or $27,000 they got out of debt in 13 months, was it? 14 months? Hey, yeah, minimum wage jobs they had. 
they conquered that debt. So they are our chief, not really chief financial guys, but they are. And we go to them for advice for the church. And the church does a whole lot better than it used to because of these two. Hallelujah. I'll just tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about Josh. You know, Josh is the Josh is the thick-headed one. <laughs> Josh is the stubborn one. David's a piece of cake. But Josh, you know, where are you? Oh, he's over there. Hi, J- hi, David. Anyway, you didn't hear that. Okay. So when it came time, you know, when we had the mess in this place, the reeky roof, the you know, blah 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 blah. So some of us on the pastoral staff, which pastoral staff is Pastor and I, they're the pastors of the church. Josh and Julie and David and Katie. That's the pastoral staff. This is the staff that's under that staff. So we're thinking, well, maybe we should get a, uh, what do you call those loans when you borrow on your, what do you call those things when you borrow on the property? Equity loan. Maybe we should get an equity loan and do this. And we're thinking, well, you know, Josh says, you get an equity loan, I quit. This, yeah. And I said, Josh, we said, Josh, you're right. This is not too big for God. And you know what? We ended up doing this and we didn't, we didn't borrow nothing, 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 nothing. Because if you start to borrow stuff, then you're counting on the lenders and your servants to the lenders. But we trusted in God and God brought it in. But Joshua is the, uh, what is he? The stickler, the stabilizer, da 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 da. He's what? Oh. They don't want us to say that. Okay, so we won't say that. But anyway, Josh, they're real assets here. And then what do we have over here? Okay, we have Katie and we have David. They're both licensed and ordained. They both went to Rama. They both went to uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University and got degrees from two different Bible colleges. And then uh, Dave, uh, David got a um, uh, bachelor's degree at West Coast Bible Seminary. Seminary? Seminary. Seminary, yeah. But that doesn't mean anything. If they had just been street sleepers, sweepers, and God anointed them, you know what I'm saying? But they do know a lot. Hallelujah. This is Melinda. Melinda is over coffee bar bookstore, but she's also a utility player. You know, some of these people grew up in church, so you can say, go do whatever, and they know how to run everything. So that's what they are. And this is Pam Church, and she's our, our hospitality lady. So she's over the hospitality department. So, you know, you, you, you know, you know, we've had the same staff for several years. And Austin Brady's also, uh, but he's not here today. These, these guys, they've been on our staff for a long time. And, um, hey, have you guys ever had an opportunity to quit? Yeah, amen, they're saying. You ever get ticked off at me? You ever get ticked off at me? Hey, you ever get ticked off at me? Many times. Okay. All right. How about Jerry get ticked off at him? He's a nice guy. <laughs> Nobody ever gets ticked off at him. <laughs> it take, but God Almighty is the one. Just like Jesus went up into the mountaintop and prayed about who his twelve would be, that's what we did with these people. And um, you know, I really appreciate them. They do work very, very hard. You know, you think we have guidelines for all of our our areas of ministry. Their guidelines are doubly hard. You think the guidelines for for regular service here are tough? These guys, theirs is doubly hard. But they qualify. 
And you know what about these people? They stay qualified. And at any given moment, they could quit and say, I've had enough of you, Mrs. Pastor, or whatever. (laughs) I'm not doing this anymore. But they never do. Another thing about this group of people is they can be corrected. You know, if they're if they're messing up in an area and we have to come and say, man, you you know, we won't say that in front of the congregation, but we'll behind the scenes. We'll say, man, you really blew that one. (laughs) You don't do it that way next time. And they could get their feelings hurt and they could say, I'm not coming here anymore. I am leaving. I am not going to do this anymore. Who do you think you are telling me blah, blah, blah? Well, they may get their feelings hurt a little bit, but they shake it off, don't you? And you suck it up, right? Are you the tough ones? Yes! Okay. All right. You guys can be seated. Let's give them a good hand. You know, underneath them, they have people that work with them. They're, most of them are department heads, and that means they're head over department. And what they get, we train them. They have pastor in my heart. We train them the way God showed us to run this church. And we train them, and then they therefore train those who are under them. We meet with our staff two times a month. Is it convenient for them? No. A lot of them have to get babysitters. It's during the night. It costs them money a lot of times to get babysitters to to come to staff meetings. But we discuss problems at the staff meetings. We just discuss new things that we're going to be implementing. They discuss, hey, I've got a problem in this area. You know, what am I going to do about it? And we talk about it and we pray about it. And final authority comes down to this man right here. This is what we're going to do or this isn't what we're not going to do. Yes, and we always take communion together every two times a month when we have our staff meetings. But these are these are good people. Um, all these people that we talked about today, not only our, our personal staff, but Moses' people, um, King David's people, Jesus' people that worked with him, his disciples and things like that, they had a purpose in their life. Their calling in life was to serve another man. It takes guts to serve another man. I'm going to say this again. It takes anointing to serve another man. Because after all, you are a man or a woman in your own right, right? But your calling in life may not be to be the main person. Your calling in life may to be the follower. Your calling in life may to be the Aaron or the Hur that held up Moses' hands. Now you may think, well, that was a, a goofy job. No, it wasn't. Because of that, the entire nation of Israel won because the men held up his arms. So we're going to think today about um, Joshua and Aaron and her. Joshua was the warrior of Adino, Eleazar, Shammah, Peter, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, Simeon, Judas. And we're not mentioning Iscariot because he bailed out, right? They had to do a couple things. They had to stay the course in order to complete their purpose in life, which was to serve another man. I'm going to close here in a minute, Josh. When it was hard, they stayed the course. 
When it was painful, they stayed the course. When it was unfair, they stayed the course. When it was lonely, and sometimes it gets lonely, they stayed the course. They were not quitters. They showed up when they were supposed to show up. I'm sure they were early. I think about David's mighty men's. Obviously, those guys were probably early to the battlefield. You know, they were eager to do their thing for God. So good stuff, huh? So last week, I'm going to review again. Last week, we talked about God's house. We talked about the attitude. What's your attitude about God's house? This week, we talked about great men of God and how great men of God, and I'm I'm comparing this to the local church, need help. God will not allow a church to grow if the pastor is doing everything because it will literally kill the pastor. They can't physically, they can't handle that or emotionally or any other way. They have to have help. And so if we wanted a little church of 10 people, pastor could do it all. He could usher you in. He could park your car. He could change your baby's diaper set them over in the corner with a toy or whatever. He could get up and preach. He could pray. He could sing, maybe. You know what I mean? Aren't you glad that Pastor doesn't have to do it all? Aren't you glad that Pastor doesn't have to get up and lead us in song? Would you like to get up here and sing a solo? Solo, they can't hear him. And that's why Josh and David and some of our kids that are musical are God's mercy to Pastor Samples. Because God knew we needed help, 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 help. Okay, well, I'm going to close with here, uh, down with this. Next week is part three of God's house. We've got some really fun things in store for you next week. And that will be the end of my three-week sermon series on God's house. But I, I pray that you're getting this into you. I pray that your attitude is changing about God's house. I pray that your heart is changing about God's house. I pray that the Lord is opening up your eyes to see the importance of God's house and why you all have a role in it. Amen. 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 Okay, well, altar team, come on up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org. 